Hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Enlightened Conversations. Each week, we invite guests to share their views on the world, work, and their personal lives in an enlightened way. Our hosts have been chosen especially to role model just how we do an enlightened conversation. This episode is produced by Michelle Lightworker and sponsored by the Lightworker Foundation and White Light Publishing House. Hello everyone and welcome to Enlightened Conversations. My name is Raul, angelic messenger and author, and I am here really excited today because I'm joined by not only a beautiful soul, an excellent human being, but a dear friend, and her name is Laura Farcioni, and she's a chemistry teacher, a counsellor, and, and a spiritual being that brings into the world beautiful, beautiful light. So welcome, Laura, to Enlightened Conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And Laura came all the way to, uh, to the studio here in Ballarat, so I'm really, really happy that you were able to join me here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure indeed. Let's start by having a little conversation about, because we talk about enlightenment and we talk about this type of ascension and everybody wants to be up there rather than down here. And my first topic for us to kind of like uh, delve into a little bit more is how do you reconcile you being an educator and in particular a chemistry teacher with your spiritual beliefs? How do they actually meet? Well, I can have a bit of a facetious answer to you um, in regards to the Big Bang Theory, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can if you want no, to. No, no, no. Um, but I guess uh, it, it all began with my own um, family um, and I guess the, being uh, raised as a Catholic girl, um, we obviously always talked scripture. We talked and had, and had a very active practice um, of our tradition. And the idea that we are sort of made in the image of um, of God, and it's not so much that we're made in the image as that I'm, you know, a man in, you know, yeah. of uh, Persian or um, Middle Eastern um, descent, but more the idea of that incarnate spirit that you know we are love, and that that's really the starting point when you interact with anybody, um, but also in particularly children. But. I know because I've been an educator myself and you are just mentioning we are love. What do you say to those educators out there, to teachers, to parents, that they're having a difficult time with their own um, children in their classrooms, with their children at home, with the one that it tells you, yeah, yeah, we're all love, but you know what? I don't want to be in your class. I don't like you. Well, I guess you have to, um, you, you would be remiss if you don't um, try and get a bit of their story because I think their story is what's presented like I've got a, a beautiful st student that I'm working with currently who I just marked her test over the weekend and um, she um, as I picked up her test on Friday Thursday she said to me oh that's a big fat zero that I got mm. and I thought I just and as I marked her work her work wasn't the big fat zero mm. she's going to get a real pleasant surprise but I've understood her story from the first moment she was in my class. She didn't want to be in my class. She hated science. I hate you. I hate the establishment. And But in meeting her where she's at, recognising that she does have baggage like we all do, 
and navigating with that baggage, she's got an amazing result. And I know that other teachers have you know, having a challenge with her, but they haven't, um, my sense would be without being in me on a pedestal and I'm mm-hmm. better or anything, because we're all one in the same. It's meeting her where she's at, recognizing and taking it on as a challenge. Like, yeah, you don't like science? Well, hey, what? Guess what? I'm going to make you like it and journeying that story. Okay. You are journeying the story or the journey of science. And as mm-hmm. you know, Laura, science, we need validation, we need proof, we need to know that actually something exists. And it needs to have actually a physical form and certain experts need to say, yes, now we actually give it the tick of approval, now that exists. So how do we reconcile that idea that we exist? Yes, I can touch you and I know that you're here next to me and you can do the same. What do we say then to people that, to scientists around the world about creation and the creator? I'm not one to be called God because I think that we've got yeah. different definitions of God exactly. and I would like to call that entity the creator. So what do we say to people out there that they say, well, if I cannot see it, if I cannot touch it, it doesn't exist. And I know more or less what you want to tell me because I can feel it, but tell us. I say from a, from a science viewpoint, when you conduct an experiment, sometimes you don't always get the result that we want. So... You know, it's about um, the opportunity to retry and retry and to um, to re-meet um, mm. the opportunity each time. So, and encouraging, um, encouraging that it's okay to not have all the answers, but to always instinctively go with how you feel. And isn't that the true fact of the Creator? Because mm. you were you were saying at the beginning, we are all one and we are all love and isn't the creator within all of us isn't the creator within you and isn't you that person that it goes through the trials and tribulations creating your own destiny creating your own pathway and deciding how that light is going to shine exactly and that's the beauty of education like i'm a big believer that i have the best job in the world because i work with the future every day and it's the future in terms of um, not holding the space that they know that they can give things a go, that they may, may not work this time, but keep going and keep, keep working through the mud and you'll get there eventually. And what I've found more so in the last few years working with um, 16, 17-year-olds, you know, they've got, they've got all the tools. They've already got all the tools. They don't need to be um, told they want to be meditating, they want to be in mindfulness, they want to be um, holding crystals or doing those things. It's so innate, it's not even something that they need to go and find, like it finds them. Um, but one of the things I've found is the, um, this whole idea of they, they are scared of failure or they've been indoctrinated with some, you know, they need a big number at the end of their studies or something. Yeah. And that is, I find, their biggest challenge. And, and being able to allow them to navigate that, mm. that's a real, uh, real honour. Mm. Not to throw you off, but no. somebody's saying, speak up a little bit, Laura. Oh, OK. Um, so project your voice. Um, you were talking about this new generation, and I call them our little rainbow warriors. 
uh, these kids that they're coming with a new sense of who they are and what they bring into the world. They're not, they're not shy. Uh, they're happy to shine their light and they're actually, at this point in time, 2019, and I don't want to get political because this is not the, the forum, but if we have a look around the world, uh, young people are rising up and young people are saying, enough, no more. Listen to what we have to say, because what we have to say is honest and is real. Oh, I, th I think um, that they need to be encouraged to do that. I think um, they, my sense is, as, as I was saying earlier, they already have the tools. They're already well connected. They need the people. They need to find educators. They need to find in their parents, in their own peers, in inspiring actors or actresses or literature that they're reading the courage to navigate the dark but always to be voicing how they feel and to feel safe in that expression of themselves and mm. that's the art like mm. to feel safe you know i can t give you an example of a, in a classroom that transpires in a workplace that can go to in a family situation have, having the courage to give it a go even if it's not perfect the first time and yes. you know and that they and seeing that they're their peers are that they're all navigating you know this stressful you know uprising or time but as a collective they are they they've got all the answers to the world like on how to how to go like we should be inspired by the young people in America who are rising up mm. an example against arms um, if that's not inspiring and not showing us that it's a great time to be alive I'm not sure, you know, you know, I'm not sure there's other evidence out there currently. No, and I guess that the evidence is actually quite clear, particularly with that example that you just gave. Um, but my question still remains is, these people are coming with all that knowledge, these young people are rising up, they're speaking up, but then they're encountering this mighty brick wall that is saying, no, and... We're going to give you a solution, but the solution is kind of like a non-solution whatsoever. Uh, how are we going to be able to change or to open up those people's minds to listen, but to listen with the heart mind rather than with their brain? That's a big question, Raul. I'm not sure that... Um, I'm not sure that I got the answer either. I don't either. think anyone has the answer but at, this time, at this point in time. But I think it's about um, our educators we're, and, and parents. I think the education um, has to also encapsulate parenting because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. as a teacher, we receive, you know, um, children who are exposed to a certain culture and are in a family value set um, and sometimes a classroom is the only place where the stu student may be able to shine their light. So having more educators who are open themselves uh, show a more trusting way to express themselves. Like if I was a closed educator, then they would know, well, you know, Laura's not the person that I could be speaking to about X, Y and Z. But when you're a bit more open, they recognise that... Um, you know, that you can have that conversation and you can be given the courage, I guess, to shine your light. But I guess that we need to change, in my personal and professional view, the educational system. Absolutely. Because um, we're looking at my uh, 
my certificates and my degrees here from uh, from Melbourne University, but I'm just thinking, I still remember writing my thesis and at one point in time thinking, oh, this sentence I wrote here is me, is how it defines me, is my own personal idea, my thought. And I remember my supervisor saying, until you graduate and you got all these letters behind your name, other people are going to say there's no such a thing as an original thought. You need to back it up with literature. That's why I probably disliked with a passion creating a full chapter of my thesis that is called, as you know, a literature review. That's right. Where you need to actually have investigated people's work in order to support and to elevate your own opinion because you are not allowed academically to have your own voice. So the system that is trying to bring you education and to rush you up to a new level, at the same time, is pushing you down saying, yeah, don't have an original thought unless you can prove it. But isn't it, as you were saying that, I thought, well, really good educators, teachers, to, for a better word, at this primary or secondary, are the people who are the literature review. We're the ones who should be saying, yeah, keep going. Do your, you know, is that what you believe? All right, well then let's go and explore that. We need to be the academic literature review that supports and validates their idea. Yes, but the issue still remains that when they get to university, they get shut down. Yeah. And, that, and those, at that level, those are the ones, I had I had amazing, thesis supervisors at Melbourne University and I had amazing teachers in there, but I've also had some other teachers that were not quite amazing, like in any educational That's place. Right. But the question still remains as an institution if we talk tertiary level, oh, yes? yes? Let's not talk university, let's talk tertiary level. That to me still remains, we're still testing people. Yes. And the only thing that we're doing is measuring memory. And Yes, that's right. We're not truly measuring application. No. We're not, we're not making those tests available to certain individuals that perhaps they're more kinesthetic or whatever there may be, the way of learning. Absolutely. Testing is testing. You go into a room with 300 people, you got three hours to answer 10 questions and then you get out. I mean, we, we have to say governing bodies in Victoria nationally are trying to make it more applicatory. Mm. So in some disciplines that holds more true at the secondary yeah. level. But if we take, say, primary um, students, you know, you're right, absolutely right, is it's mass testing, where are you at, show me where you are in progression to the average person, all these normed values. Um, but until tertiary changes its view, it becomes okay. very, very Because otherwise we're training those teachers to come into the classroom and do that. Absolutely. And my issue, and for those of you that you're watching at the moment, you're thinking, okay, is this an enlightened conversation or educational <laughs> program? Well, you know what, it's both. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, in order to be enlightened and to have that power, to be able to shine your light, we cannot kill those young people's souls because that's what we're doing with the current educational system. We're not allowing them to fly high, to be individual, but also to be part of the one. We're simply saying it's just, okay, you're part of the five top percent. Well, yeah. that doesn't allow me to be an individual either. No, that's right. 
but I, I know in, we're not doing a pro and um, pro and against. But um, one of the things that is a real blessing to our um, young um, people in today's world is that there are so many options to get around to get to your final destination. So, you know, obviously in teaching chemistry, I have lots of students who are aiming really high, whether that be medicine or pharmaceutical sciences or engineering, you know, and that's their goal, that's their end point. And, you know, that holding the space for the kid who says to you, but I'm not good enough, I can't get over 90. You know, so therein lies the, the um, holding the space and saying, no, well, do your best, go your highest, try your hardest, and then always another door. There is always another door and try your hardest and be who you want to be because I remember saying to my grandmother, my late grandmother, um, you know what, grandma, I want to be a citizen of the world and I became one, but I became one through education. Yeah. Um, although I talk perhaps a little harshly about tertiary education, it's only through passion because I love what I do. I love my time at Melbourne University. I spent 10 years in that university learning, teaching, helping. Um, but you know what? I never fit the mold. My thesis was about hotel housekeeping. I did whole research and a thesis on cleaning a room and making a bed and helping housekeepers achieve. And my thesis supervisor was saying, in the history of this university, nobody has ever tackled such as vocational education yeah. presented in a tertiary level. And to me, that was so important. Uh, later on in my career in the year 2000, which is 18 years ago now, <laughs> um, I ended up winning the Vice Chancellor's Award for Teaching Excellence at Victoria University. And the speech that I gave when I received that award, it started by me saying, not bad for a housekeeper. Why? Because my career started cleaning public toilets and vacuuming carpets. And I became an academic. But you know what, even in those days when I was traveling around and I was in my finest suit, I was able to walk into a hotel in training, take my jacket off, sleep up and show somebody how to clean a toilet. Because my grandma said to me, never forget where you came from. And I never did. I became, like somebody said, you are my only student that actually traveled the world, did all this and achieved academic excellence. But you know what? You haven't forgotten that you used to clean toilets. Oh, so what you said about finding your pathway, for those of you out there, for those of you that you're watching and you may have children, if they are cleaning a toilet today, that doesn't mean that tomorrow they cannot be the academics of the future. Because I'm an example and so is Laura. Absolutely. I was just, as you were saying that, I was sharing my uh, experience of, you know, my year 12 equivalent and then going to university. I would never have dreamed that I'd have a Masters of Education from Melbourne uh, University as well role. And um, knowing that the doors that that's open for me, the amazing um, educators that I met there who are in the forefront of changing the way we are going to educate our children. Um, there is amazing um, hope. Um, and we should be, it's an amazing time to be alive. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a believer it will change. It will change. <laughs> no, but I think that it will change. But also we need to be the creators of the change. Absolutely. We need to, because I know that we're not at all, but we're all, the older generation of educators. Absolutely. And if we remain with an open mind, there is hope as we grow older 
that we have that open mind and that open heart and that we will encourage other educators that they're coming right behind us to say, you know what, I'm older than you, but I'm still with this huge open mind to listen to these kids that are coming in with a new set of knowledge, skills, and that sense of that they know that they are a soul living a human experience. It took us all these years to do that. Absolutely. But they are already They're there. They're already aware. They're already very aware. Yeah, I mean, the kind of dialogue you can have with um, a switched-on uh, teenager, can, or let alone a little five-year-old, you know, that can blow your mind with the insight that they have. Um, so they definitely come different nowadays. <laughs> no, but also, uh, I was just reading comments, and Michelle was saying, yeah, sometimes we blocked out the we make tax borings and we, we forget about the mindfulness, yes, oh, and absolutely. to teach people. And Paula is there, hi Paula, saying beautiful and a heart, and Michelle was just saying, me too, I was cleaning toilets as a 13. But that's, that's something that it gives us a starting point. And, and I remember, um, you need to clean those toilets to the best of your ability. So if somebody pays attention and gives you a chance to move forward and to do something else. Yeah. My first university degree was paid by the company that I was working for because they saw potential and they gave me a chance. Yeah. So for those kids out there, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you didn't get 95.9% to get into your inter score to get into university because as Laura was saying, you got other avenues, but keep on nourishing your soul because that's what's going to make you a true enlightened person and professional that will be able to understand that yes, we're a soul living a human experience, living in this community, in this world, but we can also understand that by feeding and nurturing our soul, we are going to create a different society. I know it's, you tap on a beautiful point there that when you journey the road less travelled, it, it's the, the end is so much sweeter because there's so much growth um, behind you. Um, it, it, it's, it is truly amazing but I mean I have to say every day in a classroom I, I am I always wonder like what was I like at that age <laughs> I had no idea or clue these kids are just so awake and uh, we need to start listening and um, our teaching model needs to change not only are we talking about tertiary and pathways but even with our little is you know inquiry based like it's very daunting as an educator in the 21st century to think that the jobs that the kids and I am teaching today don't actually even exist no, like, and uh, you know that always uh, that always blows my mind that, yeah. you know uh, it's I would like to acknowledge at this point in time certain childcare centers and kindergartens that I am aware um, that they're actually doing mindfulness with little kids. They've got five, ten minutes of quiet time and meditation. Uh, in some um, childcare centers, I know of one that they're doing yoga. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and not because the teachers want to do it, because they have the idea and they want to do it, but the kids are actually thoroughly involved. Well, absolutely, and it's um, it's important. It's important in a world where we are information saturated. You know, we're screen. There's too much screen time. You know, we can go on and on about that, um, and that's a very personal journey for families and for educators. Um, and you know, all sitting in a construct of a school and mm. the pressures around. You know, having 
um, iPads and laptops yes. and all of the you know apps that are out, um, and to make this teaching accessible to the young. Um, but yeah, it, it's absolutely a, a, a amazing. I'm I'm always being the stick in the mud and the odd <laughs> one out because 20 years ago I was at Victoria University and I had a group that was probably the most quiet and shyest of them all. And I remember for one of my sessions, I talked to my boss and I said, listen, I'm happy to give up part of my wage for that session to hire a drama teacher. I want a drama teacher to come in and not to teach them to be actors, to really do exercises that will get them talking. But it's somebody that I will step away from the class. I will not be there. I'll be watching in the corner from behind the curtain. She's talking. <laughs> in the, in the, yes, just in the outside because I wanted my students to really become outspoken because they were being trained to be in an industry, in hospitality, where you need to be outspoken, you need to be out there, you need to present well mm -hmm. deportment, the way that you look, people will judge you. And this was, this was the shyest group ever. And teachers, some teachers were giving up. Some walked in into meetings saying, these people cannot be taught, cannot be taught, they cannot be trained. And I thought, oh my God, I have to do something. Because yes, they can. We haven't got the tools. And that's what I have against some educators and teachers when they just give up. Well, it's not about you, it's about them. So if you haven't got the tools, open up your mind, think outside the square, and think, how am I going to tap into their soul to bring out that essence that is within them all? And that teacher did that for me. That's right. And the students loved it. Not only they loved it, that my boss said, we should actually do that with all of the groups. It's an interesting point, but again, it, it highlights the point about meeting the student and meeting the need. So, you know, in my other hat, when I'm a special ed, uh, special education uh, educator, it's meeting. That's sort of the primal rule. Meet the student where they're at, because they will tell you whether yes. it's through the tantrum, whether it's through the behaviours, whether it's through um, the, the tears, it, they will tell you where they need you to meet them and yes. what their need is and you provide. You know, I'm a bit, um, I don't like the term facilitator in education. I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to that. But um, a part of educating is to facilitate, allow access in. Sure, but uh, yeah, the verb facilitate to facilitate is a totally different thing. Um, Yes, I know what you mean about facilitating because facilitating is in a meeting. Absolutely. Yes, um, when you are a facilitator, when you're actually bringing people together to talk about a specific topic, when you are in an education environment, what you are doing is just, yes, educating, but facilitating, uh, utilizing the facilitation as a tool, That's right. not as a medium. Exactly right. Yeah, so, no. So definitely, um, I think it's an exciting time <laughs> to be alive um, and we've got so much to learn from our students, I, th I think that, but all of the points that you've raised is imperative that educators need to be reflective, they need to be reflective. Um, I think like, like parenting, it needs to be reflective. Um, I used to have a group of educators working with me that we agree that we will go into each other's classrooms. Yeah, that's definitely something we do. And, uh, right. and that 
And the idea of not being offended Absolutely. by what the other person saw, because to you, you may look really well and you're doing all the things in your mind and you got your session plan. But when somebody's sitting at the back of the classroom, non-threatening, because we knew, we agreed to do that. And they're taking notes, you don't pay attention, and then they sit down with you, and it's like watching at a videotape of you. Absolutely. They're giving you their perception, so it's the idea, okay, fine, yeah, that's a good point, and I didn't realise. Well, I've got the same currently, I've got a student teacher, so that's on a totally different level because they're so um, want seeking you as the guru. Of, <laughs> and I just, or they wanted to show sure. you that they know it. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and, but one of the things that um, what I've understood is a very big shift in education is the whole idea of scaffolding. Yes. Like, you know, that's big, it's a very word we throw around. But you know, scaffold, it's the building blocks. It's the building blocks, and um, and it, it's a word that can, um, you know, transpire into lots of different arenas, and so, so too in spirituality, because mm. every every um, every dark moment is a you know a scaffold to the light, mm. moving more and more into the light. I, and it, to use another education term or terminology is um, the underpinning knowledge. Absolutely. Yes? Because that's your your baseline. Your starting block. Yeah, but start. then uh, there will be another independent knowledge as you're moving on the scaffolding. Absolutely. So it's, it's the same. It's that idea that if that initial scaffold is not strong enough, you keep on building on that, somewhere along the line it's going to collapse. Absolutely. And, and it all boils down to all of us, not only to the educators, to the parents, to society, to the way that we behave. Absolutely. Um, the idea that sometimes here in Ballarat, we see eight, nine years old uh, going on a scooter by themselves in the middle of the streets and, and doing jumps and whatever they're doing. And you think, where are the parents? Yeah. Never mind that they're going to run into me. What happens to those little souls yeah. that no one's actually taking care of them when they're going to cross the street on this scooter? It's about, um, you know, lot, lots of thinking around it. School will fix everything. <laughs> and it can't be because can't. society is bigger than the school. Absolutely. But, you know, our curriculums are jammed because of it. That's the unfortunate part. So sometimes the things like mindfulness and yoga have to take a back seat to all of the political and other societal pressures. I, I, I know I, I agree with what you're saying, but I've always refused. Um, mm. Even in my hospitality law classes, 10 minutes before the class we'd meditate. Yeah, I'm a bit of a believer of that too. So I know in one of my practices with, you know, and I won't use too much jargon um, in terms of when a student is about to sit a big test or a big assessment um, piece that they need to complete, I always bring them back into themselves. And I know I have a real um, privilege. I work with um, year 12 students and they... Um, I get to see them every morning and I know that the meditation we do in the morning, it might be four minutes, it might be eight minutes, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. But it sets them up. And one of the things that I've also brought them back to doing is to set an intention. I think we have, we have to start to understand that we are creators and it all comes with our intention. Yes. Yeah. And intent is in everything because even if you were... In a, in a troubled situation in front of a judge, the judge will actually judge your intent to commit that crime. Exactly. So if we talk about crime, why don't we talk about creating something beautiful with intent? Mm. Sorry, Michelle just put a 
message here. Imagine how many enlightened conversations we will create with our children if we met them at their map of the world and we were reflective. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't have summed it up better myself. <laughs> yeah, it's part and parcel. You know, and our, our students, um, you know, like many schools use restorative practices. It was something that was trans, um, transferred from the legal system into the educative system. Um, and and that, that, if restorative is done well, that's when a child is in conflict with another and they can both go away and be reflective. Um, it's amazing what's shifted. So whether you're an educator, whether you're a participant in a classroom, whether you're a parent, um, reflection is, in, is imperative because it informs this next step. Yeah. But I think that if you are a parent, something that you can do when you go to your parent-teacher night mm. is to actually inquire, what are you doing about mindfulness? What are you doing about looking after my child's well-being from a soul point of view because the more that parents actually have that conversations with teachers the more that teachers will actually take that into the staff rooms and from the staff rooms into the meeting with the so-called leadership team uh, in order to start thinking well if parents are asking them and if parents are bringing these questions about mindfulness, about spirituality, why aren't we tapping into it? Absolutely. It's like 20 years ago, uh, trying to claim in your health insurance acupuncture was unheard of. That's now right. it's the norm. So things will shift. Absolutely. It's, and hold your light. We, keep, we say that. We yes. throw it around. Hold your light. You know, parents know their child best. So you can be amazing advocates for your children. But, you know, as a parent, as a, um, a non-parent, but a teacher in a, um, in a interview setting, definitely we're, we're starting to get more and more of those questions and more and more of those questions to different departments within schools that are yeah. responsible for looking after that. Um, it's, it's, yeah. and if you, it's here. <laughs> yes, and, and hold the conversation. If you meet a parent, a friend of yours that has a child, or a, you meet a friend that you haven't seen for a long time and suddenly they're holding the hand, or a five-year-old, yes? And many, many people that I know will go to the person holding the hand, the adult, so how old is he? And I usually say, talk to him. That's right, absolutely. Why don't you just say to the child, hi, nice to meet you, my name is, That's and right. how old are you? Why do you need to talk over the child yeah, when through. the child is able to actually answer back. Absolutely. No, you can have some, as, as Michelle's pointed out, you can have some riveting conversations with young people. I mean, I know I'm really blessed. I've got nephews, so the kind of conversations that we have, I just, I just giggle. I think, where, where do they come from? They're teaching <laughs> me more than I could ever impart. I, you know, last night I, was, I taught my, the middle nephew, um, he was jumping on the trampoline and I said to him, I used to love doing this trick on the trampoline. How about you give it a go? And I just held the space for him. He had it nailed in like four minutes and, but it was about holding the space, meet him where he's at, do all the positive groundwork. The, you can do it. I get your bet you can do it. And it happened in four or five minutes later. I'm not sure how we're going with time. We're probably, we're probably over time because yeah, we've got limited time today. However, I just want to finish up with that phrase, just to leave you all with this beautiful phrase that Laura just mentioned. 
Why don't we meet each other where we are at? What is it that we're trying to change? And what are we trying to, what is our intention? What is it that we were trying to do? And what are we trying to impart? And remember that what goes around comes around. So you might as well send love because love will actually be returned to you. But when you're talking to young people, whether you're a parent, an educator, a friend, don't be, don't try and point the finger, don't try and be too judgmental, no. just meet them where they're at. Yeah. It's a great formula. Yeah, but <laughs> As a chemist, it's a balanced formula. It's a balanced <laughs> formula. There you have it. You heard it from the chemist herself. <laughs> Miss Chemistry herself. No. Laura, thank you so much you. for taking the time not only to come to Ballarat, but to be here with us on Enlightened Conversations. It's always beautiful to talk, Raul. Thank, thank you, you so much. Hopefully... Um, someone listening um there was something that you can take away from that so uh there will be many many more people listening later on on replay and we'll encourage you to have that conversation with the the young people in your life encourage them to do well in society but encourage them to 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 be mindful and be mindful yourself on how you actually talk to them and as laura was saying shine your light uh, until we see you next time, please remember, believe in angels because they do believe in you. And I would like to take this opportunity not only to thank Laura again, but to say thank you to my sponsors, uh, Lightworker Foundation and White Light Publishing House. Thank you so much. Many blessings. Bye for now. Bye.